everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues. I'm David Kamira, and today on our panel, we have Valentino. Hey now. And Luke Stutters. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Kevin Newton. Hey there, how's it going? Good. Kevin, would you mind giving us an introduction to yourself, who you are, who you work for, and kind of just all those reasons why you're famous? <laughs> I definitely don't know about famous, but uh, yeah, my name is Kevin Newton. I work for Shopify on the uh, Ruby and Rails infrastructure team. I, for the last year and a half, almost two years, I guess, I've been working on YJIT with Maxime Chevalier Boisvert, who is the team lead, and a couple other folks. And recently, I just switched teams to kind of my own little sub team, rewriting the Ruby parser. So you may have seen me around on the internet talking about various parsing things or various formatting things all to do with the kind of the front end of the language. But that's what I've been doing. Awesome. I'm frequently surprised at how many companies are running their apps in production without any way of knowing when things go wrong or who are running them in production and not really having a way of knowing where things are slowing down. That's why I recommend that people use a service like AppSignal. AppSignal plugs into your application seamlessly, whether you're using Rails or Phoenix or something else, and provides you a way of knowing when things go wrong, when things are going slow, and what other problems your application may be facing so that you can fix them and provide a seamless user experience for those who are using your app. So whether you're starting a new app or working on an existing app, you should check out AppSignal and see how it can work for you. Go to AppSignal.com. That's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L.com. So where do you even get started with working on the parser? Yeah. It's been a bit of a long road. Yeah, it's a good question. I think I would say about 2017, I was working at a, a small startup called Culture HQ. There were only three of us. And I really wanted consistent formatting, but I really didn't want to spend any time dealing with it. And Prettier had just come out, I think in like 2016 or 2015, something like that. And it was great. It was really good for the JavaScript ecosystem. It was super great for our front end assets, made it like really easy, hooked into the editor and all of that. And I really wanted this for Ruby. And at the time, the only like Ruby formatter that really existed was RuboCop, which is really not a Ruby formatter, it's a linter. And it has formatting rules, but that's not really the same thing. So Pretty Rare ships with a plugin system. So I started working on that. And I got to tell you, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. I was trying to write a parser for Ruby using regex. And it was really painful. And so finally, I like asked around and I like learned some things. And eventually, I'll learned about Ripper and abstract syntax trees and like how the tree can be represented. And I started going down the path of serializing the AST with Ripper and then serializing that to JSON, passing it back to Prettier and then formatting from there. And over time that eventually worked and I published the Ruby plugin and that was great. A lot of people started using it, but it's a huge pain because you have to have Node and Ruby working in harmony and you have to communicate over either a socket or like a TCP server. And that's terrible. Eventually, I came to Shopify and I, I talked to Rafael Franza about like, hey, can you use Prettier? He's like, <laughs> I'm like, why not? He's like, uh, yeah, we're not going to introduce like something that requires Node into our like dev tools. That seems like a terrible idea. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I rewrote the thing in Ruby. I submitted to the Ruby Association and got like a, a grant for that work. And that resulted in a package called Syntax Tree. And it was all well and good. But Ripper is a huge pain to work with because it really doesn't give you a lot of things on the tree. There's a lot of extra information that you gotta gotta keep track of yourself. And for some things, you have to go all the way back to the source and just parse it yourself. So there's like a lot of information you don't have. And not only that, but the parser itself can't recover from any syntax errors. 
So as you're typing and as you're in your IDE and you're typing away and you haven't finished your, your thought yet, it's always going to be in a state where there is a syntax error. And so Ripper will just choke. It'll just give you nil back for the tree. You get nothing. And that's the way that the Ruby parser works. And over time, a lot of different tools have discovered this problem. So Sorbet, for instance, uses a fork of a parser that's called Typed Ruby that was the 2.4 parser, which was a fork of C Ruby parser. And that parser didn't have any error tolerance. So when you're working with Sorbet, every time that you had a syntax error, the entire file lost all of its types, and then it had to retype everything again, and it was massively painful. At the same time, Truffle Ruby, JRuby, MRuby, and all of the other Rubies out there are all trying to keep up with all the syntax changes in the upstream. And they're always behind because necessarily that's what it means to, to, to maintain a separate fork. And so anyway, we saw all of these problems at Shopify and you know the Truffle Ruby and Sorbet and C Ruby teams are all at Shopify or I'm sorry small part people that work on those teams are all at Shopify and I pitched my manager Ufuk I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name who he I pitched him I said we need a new parser really badly and he didn't believe me at first and then he watched the Sorbet and Truffle Ruby teams really struggle and he was like oh wait <laughs> we need a new parser and so anyway this is an incredibly long-winded answer and a, a long way of saying, like, it has been a very, very long journey, but there have been a lot of different problems and, and issues that we've been trying to solve over time that have come together and culminated into this one project that's like, we need a parser that everyone can use that is error tolerant, that has an easy way to access it, that you can build linters, formatters, static analysis tools on top of it. And so, yeah, after a couple months, I... Uh, Kokobun joined the Widget team, Jimmy Miller joined the Widget team, and they had enough support that I was able to move off and, and start working on this new parser. And the hope is that I can deliver this thing and then everyone can kind of, you know, much like in the darkness, bind them, everyone can start to use this new parser and benefit from from its maintenance. I have a question. Yes. What, what is a parser? It's a great question. That's a great question. So in the course of running a programming language, right, a programming language is just a program in and of itself. So C Ruby is a C program. It takes files, like if you run the Ruby executable, and you pass in a, a path name to a file, like foo.rb, it's just going to receive a file. And it's just going to be a plain text file. And a parser's responsibility is taking that plain text and converting it into a tree like structure which is just to say a bunch of objects that have pointers to other objects that is easily, you can work with it in order to uh, convert it into something that you can understand and then execute. One of those abstract syntax trees we've been hearing about. Yeah, there's like a lot, there's like a lot of steps in the transformation, right? So when you first get it, like in the simplest example, you can imagine just a calculator that ha you have to parse one plus one times two plus three, right? And you can almost kind of see the tree in your head of like, the nodes are where the operators are, and the leaves are where the integers are. And you build up this big tree. And then when you want to go execute it, you can just walk down the tree and execute one node at a time. Operator precedence and associativity comes into play, but that's like, not necessary for this metaphor. But yeah, that is an abstract syntax tree. There's also a concrete syntax tree, which has information about where all those nodes are in the source. But yeah, the, generally just working with trees is like how you take a, a parser takes an input and then converts it into a tree. Uh, and then most languages will then take that tree and convert it into a bytecode, which is just a linear list of instructions to, 
to operate on, which is turns out is more efficient to execute. And that was what happened with Ruby 1.9 with Yarv. So what do you use it for? <laughs> I mean, I yeah. know you can use it for, uh, you know, prettier, like auto formatting, which is kind of funny to auto format the code using <laughs> the language itself. Yeah. But, so I mean, what else? What, else what, what are people using it for? And what, what could people use it for that maybe don't know? Yeah, for sure. So the kind of the most so so there's a couple of things. There's any Ruby implementation, like C Ruby, M Ruby, J Ruby, Truffle Ruby, they all have to have a parser. They have to be able to understand how plain text can form like transforms into a Ruby uh, tree that can be used to execute it. So you can use it to build your own runtime, basically. That is like kind of the main function of parsers. So that's that. Accessing the, the tree, though, can be used for a lot of other contexts as well. So formatters, definitely one, where you have to have access to the tree and then understand like some context about how to format it. For instance, you have to know if, if something is an if statement. Right? There's two different forms of if statements in Ruby that can be in the modifier form or it can be the block form. And you, so you have to have that kind of like semantic information to know how to format it. Any kind of linter, like Rubocop, is going to need access to the syntax tree. Rubocop is going to see things like you have an if statement and in the predicate, you have an assignment. And Rubocop is going to say, hey, I want parentheses around that assignment. You didn't have parentheses. I want them now. So linters, type checkers, every kind of type checker is going to need access to the tree. It's going to take the tree and usually it's going to convert it into something called a control flow graph to better understand how logic flows through the program. But at the first step is going to be parsing it. And then really any kind of more advanced static analysis tooling. I saw a really fascinating one come out about Rust recently that was like, wherever your cursor was in your editor, only the code that was relevant to that line was visible and everything else was grayed out. So if you had like a hundred line method and you were highlighting like variable foo, only the stuff that had touched foo would be highlighted. Super interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, you so you need a parser for really any of those tools. Anything that wants to understand Ruby code, the first step is going to be to parse it into a tree. You mentioned earlier that the parsers currently available weren't very error tolerant. So yeah. that when you were processing your file and it had a problem, it would go crazy. Surely, surely that's a good thing. Isn't it a good thing that stuff blows up when you've made a syntax error? Why why could it possibly be useful? to pass code that's not correct? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. There are two, well, really, there's just one main reason. When you're in your editor, well, actually, I can think of a couple of reasons. If you want to run your code and you have 17 syntax errors, do you want to run it once and then get notified about a syntax error, fix it, run it again, get notified about the next syntax error, fix it, run it again, do that 17 times? Or do you want to run it and get notified about all of the syntax errors at once? That's kind of like the main thing. So you want to be able to recover from those errors and understand where all of the errors in the, the file are at once. The other reason is, if you are introducing a syntax error into your code while you're typing, the majority of the time, the rest of the file is going to be fine. So if you have code that is doing type checking or formatting or linting, and it can lint or format or type check the rest of the file and just ignore this one section until it's valid and cache the result of the rest of the file. That way, like your editor tools become much more resilient as you're typing. But yeah, you're right. Like if you have a runtime, if this is like in production, then it doesn't matter. Like you, you definitely want to choke on the first error. 
So it's a, it's a little bit of two different modes. I don't know if we were doing iOS development, then I think they'd be accustomed to getting an error each time they try to compile. Like, oh, no, you got another one. Oh, no, you got another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's most of yeah. my working day you've just eliminated there. <laughs> well, you got to remember too that there's like a there's syntax errors and then there's runtime errors, mm-hmm. and and then in a language like I like Objective C or Swift for for iOS, like a lot of that's going to be like linker or compiler errors. So like I'm not solving any of those problems. <laughs> <laughs> I am exclusively solving syntax errors. <laughs> that is it. That's very. Cool. And so, how does that translate to our day to day development? So, is this going to be available? It's plugins for VS Code or similar editors? Yeah, yeah. So it's still being discussed. I, it's hard because like there's like 17 different language servers for Ruby right now. I think the future of it, I mean, I'm entirely biased, but I think the future is going to be through the Shopify's Ruby IDE, which is like the main Shopify plugin. All of the Shopify developers have it in their system. It provides everything that the current like default Ruby one does, but it provides also a lot more. So like if you have Rubocop, it shows Rubocop errors in your editor as you're typing. If you have Sorbet, it'll enable like jump to definition and stuff like that. And I'm working with that team to once the parser is more, you know, available and, and ready to go, it's going to start introducing, you know, error messages for syntax errors as you're typing. So in your day-to-day, it should be faster because you shouldn't have to go to the command line to determine if you have an error. So all of that is just like making a better experience for, for developer tooling. If you've worked in VS Code with TypeScript, you know like how good it can be or Rust or, or, or even C. Like there's like a lot of niceties out there that the Ruby community doesn't really take advantage of yet. So so yeah, d- uh, editor tooling is really the answer. And, and you know, not VS, just VS Code, obviously, like hooking it into Vim or, or Emacs or whatever the hell else everyone else likes to use these days. <laughs> that is also the plan. You know, it's funny. Uh, I'm I'm semi-torn on the whole idea of like auto-fixing things as you're typing. I've done, you know, a little bit of Go and Rust, and I like that about it in those languages. And I think it's just because it's not Ruby and I, I know how unexpressive it is <laughs> yeah. for the most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. But like thinking about doing it in Ruby, like I feel like it's like a creative barrier that's just like just about to slam down, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I want it to be able to, I want to be able to make mistakes and kind of just like let it error. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get um, it. Yeah. The, but at the same time, I don't, you know, but <laughs> I like that freedom, you know, I will say that I, <laughs> I have maybe a controversial take that like, I, I want to build these formatters and these, and these tools for other people's code. <laughs> I don't want them for mine. <laughs> I don't I don't turn I don't turn if, if if the project is just me, I don't turn the formatter on. Because I like I you know, everything is like artistically indented and like beautiful for me. But like if I'm working on a code base with multiple people, it needs to be consistent. I don't want to deal with it. So, so there's probably like there's probably something to be said for like ego in there. <laughs> but yeah, we're not delving into my psychosis just yet. What else can I answer about parsers? Or not. I have other projects that I also work on. I got a <laughs> I got a question about working on the parsers and working with Ruby language tooling too, because that all yes. kind of automatically puts you at the top of the tree, doesn't it? Really, you're now the alpha developer because you, your code is coding the other people's code. So you know you're kind <laughs> of there is no there's nothing more upstream than Ruby core. Let's face it. That's that's the kind of a game, right? God knows if I could code, I'd be doing that, but uh, but I can't, and it's tragic. 
So, I mean, there's nowhere else to go, is what I'm telling you. It's kind of what I'm saying, right? You know, if you're making the thing that makes a language work, there's there's nowhere there's nowhere else. What could you possibly do, you know, if you're working on the um, the, the thing that makes the language go? Well, I will say there's always another person. I'm always You're always at the whims of someone else. In my case, GCC, Clang, any number of the uh, Windows compilers, you're at the mercy of the compilers. You're at the mercy of C. You're at the mercy of whatever libraries are, are shipped as, as a part of C Ruby. It's like there's always one more level. I don't know. You see uh, that thing that Aaron Patterson was doing when he was kind of like trying to generate machine code from Ruby. You seen that? Yeah. Kind of compiler bypass. I think, you know, I've, I've, you've got to watch him. He's dangerous. <laughs> he, he is. Yeah. Actually, funny enough, I was pairing with him yesterday on the parser. Yeah, he's uh, he is dangerous. It's funny. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, like, that's kind of the thing we do with YJIT is uh, we have our own like in memory assembler that assembles uh, x86 and ARM64 code. And yeah, I mean, there, there's just always there's always another level. I will just say that. I was, this is a complete tangent, but like I was working on the ARM64 code for Wyjet and I was writing out the assembly for a particular instruction and Alan Wu, who is a little bit of a genius on my team, he was telling me that we should use a different encoding for this instruction because the micro ops were better for this other encoding. And I, what it, micro what? He's like, oh yeah, it's what the assembly gets compiled down to. Sounds very 80s. I thought that, Assembly was the bottom. <laughs> I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't know there was another level. <laughs> it's like the. It's like we we cut the atom and all this like all these quirks came out. It's like we there's like another level to that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, I really thought I had reached the bottom, but uh, no. There's there's always another level. <laughs> Don't tell Aaron, or we could get down there. <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's, it's it's quite a different world. I mean, like I'm programming every day in C now, like exclusively. And I don't know, I got to say, I love it. It's, it's it's a lot of fun, but I know that's it's not everyone's cup of tea. What do you love about it? It's very predictable. Like if you screw up, it's because you screwed up. It's not because somebody else screwed up. <laughs> it's been around forever. Like you're not the like you're not a, somebody else isn't causing your issue. You are causing your issue. <laughs> so C has like a ton of pitfalls. Like there's a ton of things you need to be aware of, but you know where every one of those pitfalls is. Like, it's a little different from a language like Rust, where it's like, oh, wait, that behaves in that way, but only in this case. And, and sometimes in this other cases, it does this other thing. And it depends on how many traits you've implemented, like complete, uh, I don't know. It, Rust always surprises me with its behavior. C never surprises me. There's there's not enough things in C to be surprising. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it is effectively like a hammer versus like an extremely powerful electric tool. Like, it's a hammer. <laughs> it's not going to surprise you. You just have to hit things. Like <laughs> only so many ways to use it. So speaking of C, why rewrite the parser? <laughs> is it yeah, is it not written in C? <laughs> it is written in C. That's a great question. There are a lot of different parser technologies out there. So you can write your own by hand, which is you know it, it's it's common. There's also parser generators. Parser generators typically will take uh, some kind of like abstract syntax. I'm not saying abstract syntax, some kind of like higher level syntax. There's a BNF, EBNF, something like that. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. There is there's a syntax and I can't remember the the uh, academic name for it, but it looks a lot like how you would describe trees in, in a language, and it, and it parses that itself and then generates a C file for you. 
The most common of these is called bison, or at least it was the most common since like the 70s. It was originally called yak, and then it became bison, which is a whole nother thing. Yak was yet another C compiler, or C compiler compiler. And then, right, yet another compiler compiler. That, that was what yak was. And then bison was a play on words on the fact that it's a yak. Anyway, all of this is to say there are parser generators. There's also like antler and packrat is a, is a thing that gets used in a whole bunch of different kind of parsing generators. Anyway, all these different parser generators. Parser generators are all great. Problem is, parser generators are meant to parse context-free languages. Ruby is not a context-free language. Ruby is a context-sensitive language. I may have just gotten those two flipped. <laughs> so this may require editing effort. I, I'm not sure. Either way, there, there, like, there's levels of, of the, the complexity of languages from Gnome's hierarchy, right? And Ruby is a more complex language than parser generators generally work for. So you can, you can shoehorn a parser generator into working for this. You just have to track a bunch of state on your own, change stuff as you go, which is possible. It's totally fine. But it's difficult. <laughs> And if you look at parse.y, which is the, the grammar file used in CRuby, it's like tens of thousands of lines of C code. It's incredibly difficult to understand. Only really like two or three people actually commit to it. Mostly Nobu, who does like 95% of the commits to it because he's been doing it forever and he's definitely a mad scientist. But like you just have to have a massive amount of context in your head. And it's very hard to, to really reason about because a lot of it is just like abstracted away by the parser generator. Error tolerance in a parser generator is very, very hard to use. You have to create these things called error productions. It goes into something called panic mode. There's like all of this rigmarole that goes into adding error tolerance. On the other hand, if you're just writing a parser from scratch, you're just writing a program and you have complete control over everything. <laughs> So it's a lot more obvious what's going on because you're writing the code. So all of this is to say, yes, the existing CRuby parser is written in C. It's generated by a grammar file that then goes into C. But you're kind of at the at the whims of the tools that generate the lexer, the tools that generate the parser. It also was written originally in 1993 and hasn't changed all that much. It's like just shoehorned in new and new and new and new and new stuff. And um, it's never really come around as being rewritten. You know, a lot of stuff in CRuby has been rewritten over the years, like the hash tables, encoding, the the JIT compiler, like all these things have been rewritten. The parser has really never been touched quite in that way. So it's a little bit of spring cleaning also. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll, we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on gather town. And so after the, the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and, 
and make friends and and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. I got a horrible question as a follow up to that. Sure, so, let's hear it. It's really great that uh, Shopify is investing very heavily in Ruby itself and associated tooling. But if this is a really serious rewrite of the kind of fundamentals of Ruby, what steps are you taking to make sure that people like Nobu are like on board with this? Because you know, that's a really powerful community. And we've seen in other, you know, I imagine that my, my sequel and Oracle is the ex- obvious example that comes to mind where if big companies come in and say, hey, we're going to make everything better. And, yeah. uh, well, my sequel eight happens. So uh, what do you know? I mean, can you talk about that? Is that too political? No, it's not political. Yeah. I mean, it is political, but it, it, I can talk about it. It's fine. Yeah. No, we had a meeting with uh, Nobu Mats, Kuichi, and Mame before any work was done, talking about, is this something that you would be interested in? Uh, is this something you would support? They've been updated relatively regularly about the progress. It's still very early, so like, I don't actually have that much to show, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, the plan is to, as soon as I have something really to show, is to have them very, very keenly involved. The other thing I will say is that the entire goal of this project is 100% compatibility with the existing CRuby parser and ease of maintenance going forward. So if either of those two goals aren't accomplished, we're going to scrap this. Now, I don't want that to happen, <laughs> and I fully intend on on making it work. But you know, the goal is to make life easier on the CRuby maintainers. And so this isn't like, Shopify coming in and saying, we're going to make it better. This is more like Shopify investing in me and the people that are going to work on the parser, and we are being a part of the Ruby community. So yeah, that was a bit of a, a long answer. But um, yes, they, they are informed, and, and, and hopefully everyone will be very on board when they see the code that doesn't yet exist. <laughs> I think that's a great answer. I'm just being mean by asking it. No, no, I appreciate it. It's an important question because you don't want to come in and just be like, this is the future. Like, that's not how it should ever work. And especially not in a community like Ruby, where people are generally actually a little more kind. So yeah, we're, we're definitely not trying to, to, to dominate or um, dictate much more about collaborating and making sure everyone is uh, happy about the direction we're all going in. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Widget and yeah, because I'm curious, like a parser seems like a perfect fit to like work in collaboration with a lot of other things in Ruby. Yeah. Like, like Widget, I imagine. Can, do you have any insight on, on that, on what maybe is planned to kind of fit in with the parser work? So, so they're kind of at different ends of the, the lifetime of the interpreter. So the parser is kind of the entry point into the the the, fun, the the program, right? It like it gets file paths and then it just parses everything and then hands it off to the file in Ruby. It's called compile.c, but it, it turns it into a, a bytecode. And then Widget sits on the complete other end while the bytecode is running. It sees where the hotspots are and compiles individual bytecodes or, or multiple bytecodes into machine instructions. So yeah, there, I don't think there's gonna be too much overlap because if we do this right, 
then YJIT should not have to change at all. <laughs> YJIT should just be able to continue to look at the, in the existing instructions because when we integrate the new parser, it should create the same YARV instructions as, as it goes on. So is it reading from the grammar's bytecode? Like the grammar gets... Yeah, so it'll convert... Down. It'll convert a tree into a bytecode first. That's what that's what Ruby does right now. So the way that it works, if you imagine we go back to our calculator example, we do, you know, one plus one plus one plus two plus three. That's gonna be it's gonna be, well, I'm gonna simplify. It's gonna be like op push, which is gonna push one onto a stack, and then it's gonna be op push, push one uh two onto the stack, then it's gonna be op add, which is gonna pop those two values off and push three onto the stack, then it's gonna do op push, push three onto the stack, op add, and then it's going to pop three and three and Adam gets six. So like those kinds of instructions are compiled from the tree. The tree looks like a tree structure that has like one plus two plus three, right? That That's like your overall arching tree. Then Ruby will like walk that tree and make those linear instructions. So right, there's that like level of abstraction that exists between the, the parsed tree and the the bytecode. So so hopefully that bytecode should uh, should keep it from infecting the rest of the code base, so to say, so to speak. Like as soon as that compilation is done, everything else should remain the same. If that makes I, any sense, I'm not I'm not sure if that tracked. But <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about it from the like runtime portion of it because it, doesn't the JIT do some optimizations there as well during runtime, or is it? Um, it doesn't do any optimizations on the parsing end. It does optimizations over the bytecode, but CRuby does its own optimizations on while it's compiling. It does things called people optimizations. It does things like specialized instructions. So if you didn't have any specialized instructions, then one plus two would always result in like op send. Send is just the generic like send a method. It would send the plus method to the one. But in Ruby, there is a opt plus which sees that there are only two operands and does some, some special stuff. So that is all part of the compilation phase, all part of the, the compilation pass. So by the time it gets to YJIT, it's already opt plus. It's like already been done. I gotcha. Yeah, so, that, so those optimizations are done in the interpreter, not in the JIT compiler. So is there anything from YJIT that you've been able to apply to your parser stuff, or is it just completely two different beasts at this point? Two different beasts. I have learned. I learned a ton about systems programming from Wichit, <laughs> and that really helped. Just having the background, honestly, was very helpful. CRuby is also like an incredibly complex code base with a ton of lines of code. So having the the general knowledge of like being in that code base really helped. Also, just like meeting people through Wichit work really, really helped. Like the human factor is, is massive. The people on my own team, Maxime, Alan, Aaron, Noah, uh, Jimmy Kokobin, like they, they're all great people to work with. And I've learned a ton from working with them. But then just also through YJIT, I've worked a lot with Ruby Core. And, and meeting those folks has also been like incredibly helpful. And it's funny because like I've met people through YJIT, like Benoit and Ilya, who are both uh, people who are helping me now with the new parser. Benoit works on the Truffle Ruby team. Ilya works on the Parser Gem. So like getting people from around the community to help out has been big for the success of this project so far. I know that the YJIT design is based on, I think, part of Maxim's PhD work. Uh, yes. Which is kind of really, really cutting edge. I can't pretend, I can't pretend to understand it, but uh, I'm just going to shout that out. 
that there's, there's, there's some very special stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of amazing work. Once you've, once you like internalize lazy basic block versioning, which is the technology that she invented, it becomes a question of like, why were JITs ever not written this way? <laughs> it's pretty genius. In very brief, I'm gonna see if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. But in, in very brief, when you are writing a function in an opcode in, in Ruby, like opt plus, it's going to check are both of these operands integers. And if they are, it's going to do a fast path for integer addition. Are both of these operands strings? Because, you know, strings have plus. It'll do a fast path for string concatenation. Are both of these operands floats? And traditional method-based JITs will encode that type check into the machine code because they have to, because it doesn't know what type anything is at any given time. So it like writes all that out to assembly. And that's how MJIT works by using uh, the compiler to, to compile that function down into uh, an assembly version. YJIT instead waits until that instruction is about to be executed, the, the opcode. And it says, what is the value on the stack? Is the stack, does the stack have an integer? Okay, then I'm only going to compile the code that's going to do integer addition. And I'm only going to do that. And it turns out that most call sites in Ruby are mon what are called monomorphic. You don't usually have like foo.bar. Foo doesn't change type a lot in your code. You know, like the promise of duck typing has not been achieved, right? Most people, when they're calling a method, are calling it on a single class. So by having this kind of lazy basic block version that only compiles specialized code for the type at runtime, you actually end up reducing the amount of code that you need to generate, and it becomes much quicker to generate code and less code is generated as a whole. I don't know if that helped at all, but that is the very, very general idea. There's also like all kinds of deoptimization and stuff that get put into effect. But yeah, that's the, the, the top level layer of it. I'm going to ask about regular expressions now. Let's do it. I hate them. And <laughs> when I first started programming Ruby, I was working in a code base where someone someone had used regular expressions for everything that they could possibly use them for. And oh. yeah, and I swore a solemn oath that when I was coding, nothing, nothing would be a regular expression. Everything would be <laughs> using dot split, and that's good enough. However, I love it. As you get older, as you get older, then the promises you make yourself, it's like parenting. You know, all the things you said you'd never do come back. And suddenly you find yourself in a situation and uh, you remember those words you said to yourself that you've never used regular expressions, yet here you are validating an email address at 2 a.m. <laughs> you've got a project called Xreg, which yes. is not what I thought it was because it says it was a regular expression library. And I thought that's an amazing idea. A library of regular expressions, a place I can go and just borrow <laughs> borrow an email <laughs> right? Somewhere, right? Somewhere where I can kind of just quickly get an American uh, post zip code out of a random string. It's not that at all, is it? It's, it's, no, not, it's, it's not, not a literal kind of smorgasbord of regular expressions. What is it? It is an implementation of a regular expression library written in Ruby. So like regex, when you look at regex as a as a tool, it is effectively a state machine. Like if you have A, B, C, it's going to say, you're going to start in your initial state and it's going to say, is the next character A? And if it is, is the next character B? If it is, is the next character C? And that is the, the state machine. You can model those out with like circles and lines, right? I have implemented this in Ruby because I want 
So, so Onigbo is the regular expression library that you, Ruby uses right now. I'd like to have a pure Ruby regular expression library that we could apply some things that I've learned from YJIT to compile it down to, to, to JIT compile it down to assembly when necessary. The reason this is interesting is because there is, to my knowledge, no pure Ruby regex engine. There are a lot written in C. There's one written in Python. There's one written in Rust. Most major languages have their own. But Onigmo is a, a separate library maintained outside of Ruby that is that is Ruby's uh, regular expression library. And I think that as YJIT gets better, having more things written in, in Ruby and fewer things written in C is going to actually allow more optimizations to happen in the JIT compiler. So anyway... All of this is to say it is a regular expression engine. You can you can write your own regex using it and and match them against input strings. Kevin, I don't I don't want to understand them. I just want to copy paste <laughs> them in from Stack yeah. Overflow. Right. So so I mean if you don't want to understand them at all, I can't really help you. But if you want to understand just a little bit, if you want to get a better slightly better understanding, Xreg actually has some interesting things where it can dump out any given regular expression to a to a diagram that will show you a how diagram. it's been executed. What, like an yes. actual like SVG? What? Yes, literally an SVG. Oh my God. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm back on board. <laughs> Here we go. Wow, the, you the, buried I, the lead there. It doesn't even say yeah. it on the readme. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've still got a lot of work to do on it, but one of the things that I want to do is to make it so that if you're to have a language server that runs next to your editor, where you can click on a regex, and it will all of a sudden open up with a diagram that you can like see how it will execute. And then there's actually some, there's one for JavaScript where you can like write in test strings and it will like show you what gets matched. So like a better understanding of, of how regex works and a better explanation for the operators that exist in there. Like if you have a dot star question mark, that is a, that changes your greedy matcher into a lazy matcher so i want to be able to like highlight over the the star question mark and it'll show up documentation for like what is this operator doing you know regex is really really obtuse and has it's one of those things it's just like it's like a passed down with oral tradition like hearing about like how this thing even works so like having do documentation built into your editor and, and a, an explainer for like how this regex is going to function is uh is the overall goal the other thing i will say is that the Onigmo, uh, okay, this this gets a little technical, but Onigmo is a regular expression library that uses non-deterministic finite automata to match against input strings. What that means is that for a given input string, the way that it models its state machine is that for any given input, it could actually end up in multiple states at once because something could, like a question mark, like A question mark, it's going to check if A is there and if A is not there. Over time, it will have to do something called backtracking if it finds that, oh, actually, I didn't match. I need to go and try something else. That kind of backtracking can lead to something called catastrophic backtracking, which for a given input, you're going to make this regex work for like a full minute. And that can result in something called redos, which is regular expression denial of service. With a carefully crafted input string, if you have a bad regex that is vulnerable to redos, you can crash that, that web worker because it's just sitting there working on it forever. There are multiple techniques in the industry and straight up academic papers to convert a non-deterministic finite automata into a deterministic finite automata or a lazy non-deterministic finite automata. There's like a bunch of academic pieces to this. You can't accomplish everything that you do with the same operators because there are operators like uh, sub-expression matching, 
negative and positive look-aheads and look-behinds, those don't work quite as well in a DFA. But for the majority of, of regex, you can convert them into something else that is more deterministic. And when you look at my regex engine's performance versus Onigma, which is the CRuby one, and you graph it out on a logarithmic scale for certain bad inputs, you see theirs just goes straight up and mine stays flat. So for for some security reasons, this is actually, in my opinion, a better way to go because it mitigates those kind of security issues that come from a redos attack. Anyway, I don't know if I just lost everyone there. How, but... listen, we've, we've been putting the Ruby parser into panic mode. I still want to know how to how to make the Ruby. Pa- I've never <laughs> seen I've never seen panic mode. I want to hear more on that. Now we've got kind of ddosing people with regexes. Any excuse to not use a regex is a good excuse. So <laughs> yeah, um, mm, yeah, that's good. I, I'll use that one in the next code review. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's it's only it's only specially crafted regex, but like it's it's surprising how quickly it it happens, and uh, it can happen really accidentally. That's that's the, that's the thing is like regex is so poorly understood by the general community, including me. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there that I can't remember, and it's but we use it. We use it all the time. It's a very very what we're, like the rails like it's like a very sharp sharp knife sharp, sharp tool that we all use. So yeah, in Ruby three point two, they introduced a timeout to every given regex so you can like make it time out after a certain number of seconds in case it doesn't match but you know that's kind of a that's kind of a blunt instrument for something that is a security <laughs> hole for me personally i think regex is powerful hands down what you can do with it it's really cool i like it however it's one of those things where i'm not familiar with it enough because i don't use it every day and when i do use it i don't go very in depth i just do what i need it to do but it's one of those things where I can come back to it a few weeks later and have no idea what it's doing. Yeah. You know, I have to copy that regex, find some online matcher that I can then paste in some examples to figure out what it's doing. Yeah. You know, so that's my issue with regex is that I think that ultimately it's not very maintainable for the average developer. Right. Yeah. I think that there are ways to mitigate that though by, well, first of all, providing a lot more documentation than we currently have, but also by providing tools like a example generator, like take a regex, pass it into this thing, get out a set of 100 strings that all match this pattern. And you can see what, what kind of thing is actually being matched here. So like there, there are ways in editor, editor tooling, developer tooling, that we can try to illuminate that which is currently very, very unmaintainable, as you said. I think we can we can get there, but but yeah. it's, but it's definitely tough. And with VS Code, they had something similar to that for CSS. A lot of the issues I had with CSS was just the visibility of what is this actually going to affect. Yeah. And so when you scroll over, hover over a CSS thing, it'll now in VS Code it tells you an example of what is this actually going to match. Yes. So it's really cool, and I would love to see that for. Regex and other things in Ruby as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the more we can move toward editor tools that tell us what is going on and explain this without you without you having to leave the editor, the better off we're going to be. So yeah, I didn't realize I actually was super interested in this for a while until uh, I realized that all the all the things that I had as side projects revolved around making this stuff kind of more accessible. <laughs> and making it, you know, more approachable for, for, for the average person. You know, it's kind of funny because regular expressions are often like, 
I need to match this. Oh, wait, no, I need to match this with this exception and then this exception. And then eventually somebody introduces a regular expression that's instead of just string matching is, you know, okay, match these patterns. <laughs> but it's almost like we're we're training ourselves, like we're AI and we're we're feeding ourselves like, you know, the information we need to autocorrect all of these. Like I would like a, a regular expression that could just learn itself <laughs> to match whatever it's given, you know, like, hey, watch, watch this string and for the next three months and then match anything that matches that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, there there is a paper I saw that generates a regular expression from a list of, of inputs. And I think we could 100% oh, nice. do that. You give it a, you give xreg a text file, it gives you out the regex that will match it. Like, yeah, totally. That it's it's like it's possible. I mean, it might end up with like dot star, but <laughs> like <laughs> it, it should be possible to match that. And yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, like I'm obviously not going to work on Xreg all that much for the next like six months as I continue to crank on the parser and and all the other stuff I'm doing. But but yeah, at some point I'm going to come back and I'm going to start pushing really hard on it. And uh, I think that that is like top of mind is like making these things like e- e- not only easy to read and understand, but also easy to write. So I wanted to briefly ask you about, because I saw you're going to be talking at RubyConf Mini. Yes. And I, I'm super interested in these mini conferences. Yeah. <laughs> that may, may potentially spree into many other mini conferences. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how did you get into wanting to do that? And how has like, the experience been? Like, what, what are your thoughts initially on it? Yeah, I mean, I've talked at RubyConf before, but yeah, when they announced RubyConf Mini in response to, I believe at least the response was was in response to some social conditions created by the environment of Texas of where the contract was. I want to be supportive of that. Absolutely. I want to make sure people are feeling safe and, and, and heard and, and like they have a place to go. Part of it is also that I'm in Boston. <laughs> And it's a 45 minute drive for me. And it is far easier for me to get to Providence. So I'm excited about that too. But yeah, I'm excited to see how it works. I like smaller conferences. Uh, The smallest conference, the first one I really went to was Ruby on Ice in uh, Germany in January. I don't know if they're still doing that conference, but to this day, that was the best conference I've ever been to. It was incredible. They served non-alcoholic Hefeweizen for breakfast. It was amazing. It was like a, a single track conference, everyone in the same room, seeing the same talks, everyone discussing the same things. I freaking loved it. So like the smaller conference feel is really, really nice. And so I, I'm very excited for RubyConf Mini. And, you know, Gemma, who is uh, on the, the Ruby team at Shopify is one of the organizers, and she's amazing. And she's doing great work. I'm really excited to see everything that they've put together. But yeah, I'm just generally very excited about it. Uh, I think it's going to be really good. And small conferences are, are awesome. Today, I learned that they made a non-alcoholic Hefeweizen. Yeah. yeah. Never knew that. Neither did I. And, and so when they first served it, I was like, what? <laughs> Are y'all <laughs> serious? Like, it's 9 a.m. And they're like, no, 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 non-alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I grew up in Bavaria. So, I mean, you want a beer, you just drank beer. Yeah, right. Never knew that those non-alcoholic didn't know that was an option. Yeah, it was an amazing conference. It, w- it was in Bavaria, actually. It was in Tegernsey. And it's gorgeous there in January. And my wife came and she immediately rented a car and drove south to Switzerland to go skiing. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, it was, it was really fun. I've always wanted to make it to uh, Keep Ruby Weird 
Uh, yeah. I, I love the content that comes out of that every time. <laughs> yeah, Keep Ruby Weird is definitely on my list. Brighton Ruby as well, definitely on, on the list. I know that, I think they're single track, but I also just saw Rails Sass, which I like hadn't, somehow I had missed it, but it looks like an incredible conference. All these like amazing things I saw on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, how do these people get to every one of these, right? <laughs> I, I don't, they don't, they don't have kids, I yeah. think is the answer. I, they, they can't was, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not that I couldn't go to the conference. I don't want to do that to my wife yes. going to a conference. Because, yeah. I mean, I have four kids that are under 10 years old. So it's like, it's just mean. I just have the so. one two-year-old and even I feel that. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> So I think RailsConf is going to be in Atlanta next year. Nice. At least if my memory serves correct. And I live in Atlanta, so that will be my first conference that I go to. Ruby-related nice. one. So. Nice, yeah. RailsConf is great. RailsConf is, uh, you know, there's like a... Because RailsConf is, is web, there's like a whole massive, wide variety of talks. There's the the social stuff of like scaling teams and managing. And then there's also like the... There's JavaScript, there's CSS, there's there's actual Ruby, there's there's backend, front end databases. Like it's it's a wide swath. It's really it's really fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, drop in on the mRubyConf. Oh, are you uh, going to that? Well, I'm not going. I'm just I'm gonna watch it remotely, but yeah, <laughs> participate if you will. <laughs> yeah, but I I love how it's getting more concentrated. Like you have all these shoot offs, you know, special specialists like style conferences that focus on a very specific thing. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. M- MRuby is, is a wild other world that I have yet to delve into, but uh, it, seems, the, it's, it seems awesome. Is the parser going to be uh, planned to make its way to MRuby eventually? Or Yeah, yeah, actually it is. Uh, Matt's mentioned, he's like, yeah, I want to replace MRuby's parser with this one. Oh, um, awesome. Which would mean, because I think MRuby is still like pretty behind in terms of syntax. So I think it would, it would, I mean, like it would bring pattern matching, for instance, to MRuby. Oh, cool. Yeah, among a lot of other stuff. I have a few uh, circuit boards here. I'm trying to uh, get working with MRuby. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I also saw this project called Pico Ruby, which I oh heard, yeah I had heard of before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the tiny little stuff. Yeah. <laughs> seems it seems awesome. <laughs> so. Yeah, a lot, lot of fun development stuff going on there. That you know, it just the community is uh, it's a it's a big umbrella, so it's fun to see all those different things being developed. Yeah, I'm excited to see how this parser will kind of explode a lot of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful. It's you know, I I don't want to promise too much, and I don't want to promise too early. Uh, <laughs> We're depending uh, on you, Kevin. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will mitigate everything and say it's not coming this year. It's probably not coming next year either. <laughs> like this is going to be a long road, but I will say, if you get like spring of next year, you're going to start hearing about this a lot more. But that's, that's not good enough, Kevin. You need to start. You <laughs> yeah. need to start stepping up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that. I'll work on that. But you know, sp- spring of next year—that's the plan. Is uh, I'm going to start publicizing it more, talking about it more, and Truffle Ruby will start experimenting with it. C Ruby will start experimenting with it. Sorbet will probably start working with it. Um, this is this is very much the hope that we get to alleviate the burden of maintaining parsers, all of these myriad parsers, and instead are able to just use this one shared library because it doesn't have bindings to, to, to CRuby internals. It's just like its own like lib Ruby parser. You will just install this one package and it will just work. 
in theory. Well, I'm looking forward to using it with my new Lunar Vim. So there like, you go. I could finally get true language autocompletion and like documentation in line. <laughs> yeah. It's it it's hard fun. otherwise. You gotta like ad hoc a bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, if you use if you start using syntax tree today, syntax tree is the evolution of prettier. It's a formatter, but but it also has like a whole object layer. If you start using it today, I can guarantee that by the time the new parser comes out, the day the new parser comes out, I will release a new version of syntax tree that takes advantage of it. <laughs> so Start using it now because it's not going anywhere. It is going to be the you know official version. Well, my official version at least it is going to be using the new parser the, the the first day it's ready. So yeah, awesome. Good to know. Cool. I'm gonna get us pushed over to picks, Kevin. If people want to find out or just follow you online, where should they go? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter, KDD Newton, and you can see me on GitHub. Also, KDD Newton. But yeah, mostly Twitter. I publish on my blog, kddnewton.com, but I'll post all the links on Twitter. Awesome. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups, I'd try and create other opportunities, and it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month, and it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right? Where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. All right, well, let's get over to picks. Valentino, do you have any? Yeah, let's see. My first one, I've been uh, revisiting some, I actually just got a, uh, a like time hop notification with this uh, thing Idio came out with. It's called the Design Kit. It's like a field guide, they call it to human-centered design. It's easy to get lost uh, working with computers all day. I think <laughs> it's worth checking out to uh, at least see how you can design for people again, if you're not, or forgot. I love it. It's, it's pretty great. It, they have a hardcover book that you can get. That's kind of cool looking. And the other one I got is, it's. I may have used this before, but 
Mame has this uh, incredible Ruby program that generates itself through 128 languages in a quine loop. <laughs> he calls it the quine relay. Uh, absolutely incredible. <laughs> I, I recommend you check it out. It's it's the most uh, absurd looking thing, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun to watch <laughs> and run it in, in your console. Awesome. I, I saw that thing. It is wild. Absolutely <laughs> wild. And Luke, do you have any picks? I have so many picks. I have so many picks. Usually, I steal my picks from the guest Twitter feed, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that this week because uh, Kevin's been so amazing. So my first pick is Starlink. I've been operating last week in the middle of nowhere in Canada on Starlink, and that thing is amazing. You got to fill with it. But my word was that deliver. It was much, much better than I ever could have imagined. So well done, Elon. Starlink's my first pick. My second pick is something which I know you've all seen before, but it's new to me. And it's grugbrain.dev. I've never seen this before. We got a new guy in to do some rail stuff. And grugbrain.dev is a marvelous, marvelous website. Uh, how to software from the mind of Grug. My third pick, which I alluded to, is a site called regexlib.com. Never write another regular expression ever again. Just copy-paste them in from there. Don't think about it. You know, don't think about it. Don't test it. Just drop it in. It'll be fine. And my other new technology I found is a thing called Emmet. And I know you've all heard of it before, but I'd never seen it before. Emmet.io some kind of magic plugin in VS Code that just writes the code for you, uh, mainly for HTML and CSF dev. But no, check it out if you don't believe it. It's kind of like a kind of weird shorthand plugin to auto-generate stuff. I've been playing with doing some ERB stuff with it. But oh, it, just, it just types in for you. It's amazing. And my last pick, because I want to pick something from your blog, Kevin, is an article you've written on Bitmask Intermediates on the new M1 chips something which is dear to my heart because uh, while on Starlink, I had to port a fairly hefty amount of C++ over to my M1 Mac because we had an equipment failure on site. So I had to get everything running. And of course, this code had only ever seen x86 before. It had never virtued onto the ARM world. So that was a, that was a fun Sunday evening. So yeah, those are my picks. Awesome. And because I haven't been on for a bit, I have a few picks. One is the Blackmagic Design ATEM, which is a live production switcher. So if you've had if you have a nice SLR camera that you use for your web camera, and typically you would go into an Elgato cam link or something like that. But doing the live broadcasting, you're doing it all from your computer. So you're using CPU resources for all of that. The ATEM basically absolves you from that. And you can do everything from the ATEM with the live streaming. It takes in your HDMI ports. It's a basically like a fancy HDMI switcher. So I've been playing around with that and it's really, really cool. The second thing is I like bonsai trees. And so I found a Lego bonsai tree. So it's like a, a 800 piece bonsai tree kit. And you can have a Lego bonsai tree that will never die on you. And the last one... <laughs> what? Dude, is there a high mortality rate among your bonsai trees? Well, see, the thing is, I bought initially this nice little cactus plant. 
little planner arrangement from Home Depot and it thrived in my office. But I usually keep the lights off in my office and I just have a little desk lamp. And I don't know. I thought cactuses like hot weather and right. light. Right. You know, because it's a plant. But no. So it thrived in my office. So I thought, you know, I'm going to put this little guy outside, give him some light for a couple of days. It died. It was hot and it died out there. I guess it just got accustomed to the darkness. <laughs> so, so I ended up getting a succulent Lego set for my desk to replace the poor little life guys. And so I don't think that this is going to die out. I can, you know, for those on the video, I can show you a picture of it with in the background. Let me take off that lens cap. So you see back here, I have my little succulents. I had baby Groot tending to them and then the Lego bonsai tree. So I love Legos. My kids love Legos. So we get to play with it a lot. And so me switching the cameras like this, this is with the ATEM. It's super cool. And then finally, the last pick, this is something that I was playing with last night was WebAssembly. And just the things that you can do with WebAssembly, and I'll kind of key up why I was looking into this. And specifically, the library was FFmpeg Wasm. And the idea that I had was, you upload videos to YouTube. You have to wait for YouTube to do all of the transcoding to multiple formats with the bitrate streaming and the number of servers that they have with that is insane. So what if you were to leverage the individual's computers that is doing the upload to do all the transcoding? So I actually built a tiny Rails app where you upload a video before it even uploads on the browser with WebAssembly. It does all the transcoding right there on the browser using temporary storage. And then once it's done with some stimulus controllers, it attaches it to some file inputs, uploads it to the active storage mechanism, and then you have your uploads. So WebAssembly is really cool, and I'm really excited to see the future of it. Right now, it's actually real crappy and slow with the current FFmpeg implementation. So I don't think it's in for prime time yet. But it is still very promising. So, Kevin, do you have any picks? Yeah, a couple things. Um, the first one I would say is, speaking of Mame's coins, he just he creates the most amazing things. I'll link to this, but uh, he created a coin from like 2013 or something that is a program that mirror, it models fluid dynamics using ASCII art. And the input to the program is the program itself. And you can watch as the characters descend and flow around. And you can like change the input to to watch it and it, it's it's absolutely wild i mean it's a it's a different way of thinking about programming uh but it's 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 beautiful honestly so that's the first one the second one i will say is uh is just for fun no really dot dev this was written by a guy named tim morgan who maintains a ruby implementation called natalie and uh, natalie is a, a c plus plus ahead of time compiled ruby implementation it's, you know, it, it doesn't have full compatibility with CRuby, but it's getting there. And he's maintaining it for fun. And he creates this thing for fun because it's fun. And uh, every time this thing shows up on Hacker News, everyone's all like, why would you do this? Like, it's, it's not going to be fast enough. It's not like the best. It's not going to beat anything. And he always links to this website that he created because he got tired of answering that question of like, people can 
do things for fun and it can it can be okay. And that resonates with me a lot because I have a lot of side projects and I don't really intend on replacing everything I, I write these things with. Um, a lot of the time it's just for fun and it, a lot of the time it's it's for education. And if we lose that, if everything has to be better than something else, then uh, you know it's going to take a lot of the joy for me out of out of programming. So, anyway, uh, that is that is that. Um, yeah, ch- check out Natalie for sure. It's a it's a great uh, project, and you can learn a lot about Ruby by implementing Ruby, which which seems to be my mo of like learning about parsers by implementing parsers and learning about regex by implementing regex. So so yeah, that is uh, those are my picks. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, right? Well, that's all for this. Thanks for listening. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.